Welcome everybody to the Kid Casper Podcast. I'm your gracious, beautiful, blessed, beloved, and black host, the kid that they call Casper. The K-I-D in Kid Casper stands for that king of development. I'm that menace with the melanin. So reject me as I am as long as he is still relevant. This is your first time tuning in today. <clears throat> Hello. I'm that nerdy, quirky, black kid that they call Casper. I'm a Christian raptivist. Yes, rapper slash activist. Like, I, I love Jesus. <clears throat> but I'm like super far from a pacifist, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm a graphic designer, clothing apparel owner, taco enthusiast, um, just randomly recognize that even though there's a whole bunch of superheroes on my cup, there are no black people on my cup. So I mean like, we're just gonna try to ignore that though I brought attention to that um, this evening for to kind of break the awkward tension of my rambling, you know what I'm saying? Um, but that's besides the point. Um, so my guest this evening is seven o'clock evening technically it's seven eighteen eastern standard time would you consider no, i'm not checking i'm checking for like a nodding of head would you consider 7 p.m like evening yeah okay cool we're gonna go and say that's evening um some people might argue with that but i mean like that that's up to you um so my guest this evening um this is a preacher pastor if i'm um you know i want to give honor where honor is due pastor um reverend as some people say uh just found out that she well i would assume she's a daughter uh apparently she keeps her she keeps her her her, her pops humble you know what i'm saying so she is a <laughs> she is a she is a daughter um she is a fellow content creator a tiktoker it's weird that you gotta like kind of differentiate the two apparently there is a difference between a content creator and a tiktoker but considering that we navigate in similar to the same space you gotta kind of be like spiritually and mentally equipped <laughs> to deal with such space so i will give flowers and flowers to do saying tiktoker um this is um this is you know this is not even somebody that is i feel like we have to really really peel back the layers when we talk about ministry and clerical um servitude when we're talking about a youth pastor, we're talking about somebody that is entrenched themselves into really recognizing and knowing what divinity is, you know what I'm saying? When we're talking about this spiritual enlightenment experience. Um, everybody, my guest this evening is the magnificent, the amazing, and as I said earlier, the melanated, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Mariah, uh, Rev Raya, you know what I'm saying? Felder, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but everybody, please, yep. please, please make her feel welcome. Let's get it. Let's get it. Thanks for having me. I love that intro. I, I feel I, special. Uh, of course, you should. You should feel special. And you know, I'm gonna say this to you the same way I said it to you backstage. Um, thank you for accepting my invitation um, to share the space with me. This is a long time coming. Um, you know what I'm saying? I know you tried to say that you feel special. For me personally, because I'm, I don't, I don't know if I like to use the word fan per se, but I'm an appreciator of the arts that you, uh, that you contribute into not only the spaces that we share together, but just, you know what I'm saying, that, you know, your opinion in itself. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm trying to head in with no expectations, just so I don't end up disappointed. Um, so I'm just, I'm just ready to rock. So um, once again, uh, thank you for allowing me to host you this evening, basically. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. This is uh, really exciting. Um, I know that you said that you've been wanting to do this for a while and yeah, I'm sometimes bad with responding, so I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Oh, don't don't feel bad. There are there are um, you know, it's it's funny cuz like the the creator of this anime just passed away recently. They there are people that are still left on red in the shadow realm of my of my cell phone. So like don't feel bad that you're like a bad texter cuz there are people that are still like probably watching right now like this fool really didn't text me back like and, and i know i text <laughs> i know i texted him today so trust me i mean like yeah. I, I snitch myself to say that yeah you you're good um no need to apologize but um anyway so before we kind of dive into the meat the steak and the potatoes you know what i'm saying of this conversation if you could give those that do not know you, but I would just say like an elevator's pitch to who um, Mariah or AKA Rev Raya is, uh, could you do that for us real quick, my sister, please, please? Yeah, so Rev Raya, um, that is honestly uh, a nickname that I got in, in grad school uh, that has just stuck, but um uh, Raya is a uh, a New Yorker who was uh, who happened to be raised in Virginia. Um, I was born in Queens, New York, um, and moved to uh, Southern Virginia at nine. So I always say I was a New Yorker who just happened to be raised in Virginia. But um, I am a nerd at heart, a theology nerd. Uh, I'm a ministry kid. Grew up in the church. Uh, my entire life and it was just always something that I kind of gravitated to um, despite having you know ups and downs and kind of rough experiences just always like was a church kid who yeah I just always like to be in church like to be doing stuff and kind of keeping busy um, but was also very much like a nerd who wanted to learn everything wanted to know everything always asking questions always asking why stuff like that um, and uh, kind of just throughout high school uh, was always kind of doing things where I was public speaking. So I was on the debate team, I did speech. Um, I was on the newspaper, but I also did like spoken word poetry and stuff like that. So I was always up in front of people trying to convey a message uh, that turned into uh, me going to, off to college. Uh, I graduated from the illustrious uh, Hampton University. Um, it's the real HU, we don't claim to be the first, but we are the real HU. Um, where I was uh, definitely, I, so many gifts were cultivated there and that's where I kind of discovered my uh, my call to be a pastor. I was an RA and uh, some of my students were, some of my residents were joking about, you know, around final time like everybody does. Oh, I'm gonna drop out of college. I'm gonna drop out, I'm gonna drop out. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna drop out too. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna start some businesses, you know, um, maybe, you know, I'll, uh, support a strip club or two or whatever. And they were like, no, nah, you can't drop, drop out. Cause, uh, you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, a what? I ain't never thought about being a pastor. I was like, that's, I've been saying, I don't never want to be a pastor. And they were like, well, we thought you were going to go to grad school to be a pastor. I was like, that thought never legitimately crossed my mind, but okay. Um, I went back to my room was kind of like sat in prayer about it and called my mom and was like, um, mom, what would you say if I wanted to be a pastor? And she was like, I would say, duh, we already knew, but we were just waiting for you to figure it out. So, uh, that kind of was the point where I was like, 
okay, so maybe this is something that, you know, has been uh, kind of in my life for a while. And yeah, and then just um, kind of followed that to go off to divinity school and get my MDiv. And, and now I have the greatest job in the world. I am a youth pastor to about 20, 25 amazing uh, young people, uh, amazing middle school and high schoolers. Um, and I think I have the coolest job in the world. They, for the most part, think I'm cool. They want to hang out with me. Um, and I get to tell them about Jesus and show them what uh, a life of faith can look like. Um, so in a nutshell, that's me. Um, I think I'm pretty, uh, yeah, just normal and nerdy. And, uh, yeah, anytime you can, yeah, I, anytime you see me in a bookstore, it's always, you know, you always got to be careful because I will leave there. It's just now I just chalk it up to TikTok research. Oh, I'm gonna read this for a TikTok and I just keep buying books. Um, so I'm a, I'm definitely a nerd at heart. Gotcha, gotcha. Ain't nothing wrong. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, I uh, which is funny. Like <clears throat> one thing that uh, we were talking about briefly on here, um, and we were talking about like how kids are, you know, you can't really get past kids as far as like BSing kids or anything like that. They will keep you humble to the T. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, what do your um, <clears throat> what do your kids think about like, you know, what I know you from is from the TikTok space. What do your kids have to say? um about you engaging this um i would say like just using your arts or like your talents or gifts whatever it is um to enter this space what do your kids have to say about that oh they think uh they think it's really cool because they mostly it's just the number of followers for them they're like you have how many followers um so they think that is really cool um i initially started it to try to like i got on tiktok to kind of be cool and relevant um, and I was like, I can't dance. Um, I'm not going to do a bunch of lip singing videos. So, um, so I guess I'll do what I do and just talk about theology. So they thought they think it's cool. They like sending me TikToks back and forth. Um, but as far as my content goes, mm, they mostly only talk, only like it when I talk about them or like I reference something I do with them. So they're pretty much all about themselves in that way. Uh. I mean that's honest <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's usually how kids work um that's that's interesting uh, we'll definitely have to dive into like your story and like what what how you i would say like became developed into who you are today but um we're gonna have to proceed to my next question you know what i'm saying have you um tuned into any of my programs or my shows by chance Do, are you familiar with how this curriculum goes you know what i'm saying pastor uh, uh V vaguely vaguely i've watched a couple okay so vaguely so like you would say like they my friend but really like they like an acquaintance and i don't know they birthday type of vaguely or like a okay cool so you have yeah. like little to no idea what i'm about to ask next basically mm -hmm. okay cool all right so my next super intense question on the kid cast podcast is for pastor raya is if you had to pick a favorite um disney princess uh what favorite disney princess would that be today wow um that is a a difficult question for uh a very strange reason but uh yeah um i'm trying to think of a disney princess um i think i'll go with elsa um i'll go with elsa because um 
I'm convinced that Frozen, especially Frozen 2, is just a movie about following the Holy Spirit. Interesting. I might have to pick your brain on that. I um I did a Bible study where I like related like mm-hmm. certain things to like Black Panther to like the book of Exodus. Um we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to get together one day and kind of break that down. Yeah. And also it probably gives me a reason to see um Frozen either one or two. I haven't seen either one of them. So like yeah. I don't So Frozen two Frozen two, the main song that everybody likes, is pretty much just a Disney version of Oceans. Um, and I will stand by that. Interesting. All right. It's a Disney version of the song Oceans. Hmm. That makes me either want to listen to it or never want to listen to it. Considering (laughs) I've heard Oceans enough where it's just like, "Mm, do I really want to do that to myself? Do I want to expose that to my spirit? But it's, it's worth, it's worth it to experience it at least once. So you're like, oh, I get it. But then I don't need this anymore. Ah, gotcha. Well, I'll try to take your word for it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and my next, this will, okay. So you said you was a nerd, but like, we'll see like how like deep in your bag of a nerd you are or like how shallow okay. your bag is as a nerd. For my next super intense question on the Kid Castle podcast is if you had to pick a starter six Pokemon set, you know what I'm saying? What six are we rocking with? Oof. Um, man, I'm like looking to see. I'm like, is my switch around? Because I'm like, uh, I'm trying to think what six I have right now. Uh, because I'm playing Pokemon Legends of Arceus, uh, at the moment and I'm addicted to it. Uh, so, um, so I will go with what I know off the top of my head of like my actual start, my starters right now. Um, I know I have a Graveler, uh, a gold duck. Um, uh, I just evolved my Eevee to whatever, to whatever that is. I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, let's see, Graveler, uh, a gold duck Eevee. Um, let's see. Uh, I love Machomp because I mean I I'm. That was always one that was uh, that was big uh, when I was playing Pokemon growing up. Um, and I need two more. Uh, I feel like I'm not going to say Pikachu because I would want a better electricity Pokemon than that. Um, man, uh, I'm trying to think who's on my list. Uh and then uh these i'm like seeing them but then they're because uh, i give them i give them uh ratchet names uh i think it's oh it's luxio is the one i currently have um yeah because i give them ratchet no names. no no uh, no 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 i need to <laughs> i need to explain yeah. the pokemon and i need to hear the ratchet names i will not allow so, you to proceed <laughs> so so luxio i just uh i just i just nicknamed it luxury but with like two x's two three x's um, cause like, of course you would like, who wouldn't want to name their daughter luxury with like multiple X's? Like, that's cute. Um, right. Um, right. Uh, 
and then like I nicknamed my groveler Gary, but with like three Y's. Uh, it's like Gary. Stop it! Um, stop! Like stop! You're yelling at, it's like Gary, <laughs> um, because that's how I say it in my mind. <laughs> like, uh, no. Yeah. And I imagine I imagine my gold duck as so I nicknamed my gold duck to Goldie, but like I imagine it like uh, almost like Jerome from Martin with the gold tooth. Um, so I so gold duck is Goldie. Um, yeah, because that is, yeah, that's who I am. Um, and I mean, I need one more, I think, right? Uh, man. Uh, so I will just go with, uh, oh, Nine Tails. I think that's a that's another one that's in my starters right now. So that took longer than I wanted, but I was trying to remember who I had right now because um, I am a big Pokemon fan. All right. Well, first off, I just yo said Gary with three Y's. I was not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This when I said I headed in here with no expectations. This is for reasons like this because then I am yeah. pleasantly caught off guard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so when I said I'm a nerd, like I really I take my Pokemon seriously. Like, I I appreciate yeah. you. I appreciate you not so much making me feel like the coldest per the coolest person in this space, but I'm not alone in the nerd the, yeah. the nerd section. I pre mm -hmm. I appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? Made me feel comfortable in my own space. I appreciate that. Thank you, black woman. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I can uh, continue to make space for both of us. Gotcha. What'd she say? Hello, that is funny. She could do a whole video on Ratchet Pokemon names. I would watch. I would need to see that too. Like that's a that's a great idea. I could do that. I, I'm gonna need you. Yeah, we might have to we might have to work on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So sister, sister, um oh I'm not gonna say sister. Like I say, I'm gonna give honor where honor is due. Pastor Raya, you know what I'm saying? Um my whole purpose of starting this podcast, you know, creating this uh space mm -hmm. was, you know, I originally started to interview and shine a light on different content creators producers musical artists even illustrious you name it um that i've become acquainted to through the years kind of create a space where they could be spotlighted um and promote them um 2020 happened and we were on lockdown you know the whole world was you know pretty much stuck essentially um we saw what happened with brianna taylor ahmaud arbery and george floyd and I would say the lack of response from like the church, you know what I'm saying? And for me, I felt this, I felt this spiritual obligation to lend a voice to not only what's happening um, in the world, um, because I felt like, I felt like in a lot of ways though we are supposed to be spiritually awakened, we end up to some degree being like narcoleptic in the spirit. I don't know when it came to like certain things that are happening um in the world and i think that we kind of took the whole you know we are supposed to we are supposed to like navigate through this world but not be of it and we've kind of like become detached to some ways and i just did not want to continue navigating like that i would say so you know i cre i created this space to not only be able to shine a light and speak obviously to like the plight of like people that look like us but at the same time, be able to humanize people that society and even us as a people and us as believers tend to otherize. Um, you know, I think for us to be able to stand together as just people on this 
ghetto planet <laughs> for us to be able to just stand for us to just be able to stand together as a people i think we need to be able to sit down um have quinonia and be able to um talk with one another um you know what i'm saying because you know we see we tell people all the time like we don't want to live in a fallen divided world but if we can't even come together in some of the most divided places like in the pews within our own churches then what are we doing this for so you know for me i preface all that to say you know my goal at the end of the day is just not only hear other people's experiences humanize them and allow them to tell their own stories but to allow people to be challenged in any way shape or form and like i said they're headed with no expectations when engaging people because you never know what somebody's been through going through and what they're about to head into um and i just wanted to be able to share that you know provide the space for you to do that today and kind of be able to not kind of but be able to share that with other people so if you can go back as far back i don't even know how old you are to be honest and you know black is misleading so you could be like 60 years old but you look 20 so like i'm just saying um but if you can go back as far back um, as you remember to the young developing stages of uh, Mariah Felder. Uh, could you do that for me today, please? Yeah, man. Um, so I will say how old I am um, because uh, my birthday's in, what, five days? Um, so uh, I'm 27, about to turn 28. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, so you are not 27. You, you and me are the same age? How? Yeah. How? Yo, black don't crack. That's all I gotta say. Drink water and mind your business. I know that's right. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I think as far back as I can remember, um, and this is gonna sound like I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to sound super holy for your podcast. But honestly, one of the first memories I have is uh, is coming back home from a revival around three or four years old church um, and we came back from revival and I saw this lady fall out in church. So I came home and I tried it. Um, and I came home from church and I laid in, in my parents' bedroom floor and I said, I'm laying out before the Lord. Um, and like, that is one of like my earliest memories uh, was just like, man, just being like, this stuff in church seems really cool. So we gonna try it. Um, so I tell the story all the time that, you know, when, uh, my parents were sick and we didn't go to church, I would get the ironing board and I'd preach a sermon. Um, that was like just the kid I was like, I would get a CD player. I'd get some Yolanda Adams. We'd listen to a song or two that was praise and worship. Um, and then I'd go get my Bible. I get, you know, my notebook and I have my ironing board and I would preach sermons. Um, and they would listen because most of the time they were sick so they had to listen I had a captive audience i was like cool y'all about to sit here and listen to uh to me exegete the text because that's what i'm doing at like five six years old um so that was uh that was always me but also at the same time i was always one uh who was aware of what was going on in the world and was like justice minded uh so when i was i think 1999 so like maybe kindergarten or, or something like that Amadou Diallo was a man who uh, was shot uh, 42 times in in New York, um, shot and killed by police. 
And I remember my father um, writing a spoken word piece about it. Um, and I think that was like the moment that kind of triggered something for me. Um, and I spent the rest of my, yeah, the pretty much the rest of my time in school and my, my life, honestly, um, being somebody who was like, I need to make people aware of these injustices. So I was a, I was on the debate team. I was on the speech team for, I was on the speech team for three years. So I did a, a, a event called poetry interpretation, where you do a piece and, you know, you're judged on how well you can, uh, recite the poem and bring, you know, emphasis and all of that. And for three years, I lost every single competition because I only did pieces about police brutality in Southern Virginia. Mm. Um, and I knew that I was going to lose because they were like, why are you talking about racism? Why are you talking about blackness every time? But so for three years, every time for three years, I, uh, yeah, I always talked about police brutality. I took public speaking just so I could talk about police brutality and my classmates would have to hear me. Mm. Um, I was like, well, in, in, in what part of Virginia, if you'll mind me um, asking? This is, uh, this was Chesapeake, Virginia. This is like right, uh, the city, like right before you get to the North Carolina border. Oh, so it is, oh, you, it is. You, you was out. like, oh, okay. You was out there. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like a military town too. So everybody's like real, like go military, you know, uh, the Confederate, Confederate, Confederate. I thought it was something. You end up muting yourself, Queen. You end up. Let me see if I can get you back real quick. How'd you do that? Yeah, you end up muting yourself. Let's try again. What happened? There we go. We good now. Let's see. Feels my mic going out or what? I don't know. You was talking that good. You was talking that good stuff, and then the, the man was like, "Nah, you telling all, telling all the good yeah. secrets. You talk about the spices and the chicken. We can't have that out here, yo." <laughs> yeah. um, oh, so I was saying, uh, yeah, in Southern Virginia, we're like big military town. You know, they're like Confederate flag is our heritage, and I was like, "But people are being killed by police every day, so we're not gonna forget about it. And as long as I'm here, I'm not gonna let none of y'all forget about it." So I always loved, uh, yeah, I always loved church. I always loved Jesus, but I always loved justice and was never going to uh, let people uh, sleep on the fact that black people were being were being killed in the streets, even before it was cool. Like, um, yeah, that's just always who I've been from. At yeah, as as young as I can remember, it it got on my brother's nerves so bad. They was like, why can't you just like be low key for once? And I was like, nah, not having it. That's um, that's funny that you say that that you 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 talk about this resistance you got very early, as if we forget. Sometimes I feel like even men that look like me, we forget so quickly that like, yeah, you could even say stop, you could even stop speaking up about the plight of our people. You know what I'm saying? For you though, like in case they don't know, it's like um in case that my brothers that look like me forgot, it's like you got a whole other like hurdle you got to get over, and that's us. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Not only because like us as men, so it's like you 
I feel like for like to some degree, like and, you know, it goes back to like to say like we're like one thing removed from being the most we're on the upper echelon. For you, it's like if you rest on your laurels in either one of those categories, that could be to your detriment of your safety. So mm-hmm. like how did you navigate through that at what age? Did you said that your brothers was yeah. telling you about this? Oh no. So yeah, my brothers I think that was mostly high school because uh there was a period a six month period in high school where I was signing my name as Mariah X. Um, because I was like really getting into. Never mind, stuff, you the, are cooler than me. Never mind, you are <laughs> way cooler than me. That's it. <laughs> Some uh, so I was like listening to Malcolm X speeches a lot, and I was like, yeah, I don't know my last name. I don't know where I came from. So I was signing my name Mariah X, and um, I had most of my teachers were like, all right, cool, like we get it. You're a revolutionary, whatever. Um, but I had one teacher who was just over it. And she was like, if you sign your name, Mariah X one more time, like I'm going to have to write you up and have you suspended. And, uh, yeah. And I came home and I was like, I was like, man, this lady's trying to get me suspended for not doing nothing. I was like, I'm just writing Mariah X on the paper. I was like, she knows who the paper belongs to. And my brothers were like, really, is this really the fight you're going to fight right now? I was like, yeah, cause I have a right to. That's wild. That's um. So that kind of like now. So now I understand what you mean when you said uh, I'm a New Yorker that grew up in Virginia. Because like even as you're like telling, <laughs> I got peoples from New York. Even as you're like telling the story, the bounce you got, like this, like <laughs> almost like this hip hop cadence you got. Uh, when you speak, I'm like, that's what she meant. She she came out, she came out the womb yeah. with with um with Timberlands and um black and milds. <laughs> and probably it, 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 I respect it. I respect it. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm saying? Um Shout out to my dad who it took me every year to go get a brand new pair of Tims. Like that was back to school time. It's time to get a pair of new Tims. Yeah, to get yeah, no no lugs though, right? We didn't do no lugs. Lugs no. was disrespectful. No. Lugs was disrespectful. Nah. We did. Nah. <laughs> times was tough, but times was tough, but they was never that tough. Oh my god, you would have got slid. Oh my goodness, that is hilarious. <sighs> um, but that's that's interesting, man. So like, you know, um, you said that you said this, and I feel like you know, I don't want to bypass this so fast because I think people don't necessarily understand this nugget. You said yes, you had a biblical insight, and you knew very early what it was to. I would say like have um to be to walk in divinity. However, you always kept on your mind to be a person of justice. Why do you even feel like you had to say that? I know why. Why do you even feel like you had to say that and point out that that is something that like not only needs to be said, but you made sure that it was a priority for yourself at the time? Um, Because I, you know, especially growing up in very charismatic spaces, like we were focused in church on the Holy Spirit, right? Like we had to experience, we had to make sure everybody was, you know, worshiping and praising and getting the Holy Ghost. Um, and we weren't talking about the stuff that was happening going on in the streets. It wasn't like we didn't care, but that just wasn't the focus. Um, and for me, they felt somewhat disconnected um, because 
I wasn't given a great like framework for how to put those two things together other than just like watching my parents, right? Like watching my dad. Um, and I don't think he had like the theological, uh, yeah, the, the theological explanation for how those two things went together. That was just how he was living his life. Um, so he was a social worker. He was like out, you know, in the streets of New York for years. And I was like, okay, that's part of his life. That's how this goes. So this is just what life is. Like you, you do both of these. Um, but I don't think it was until I got to divinity school that I actually had the, the words and the, the language for what I had been doing. So sorry that no, you're good. You're good. Um, so this Light is now that I know, like, now that I know, like, how old you is, you know what I'm saying? This will give me kind of a better idea as far as, like, how to, like, frame these questions and stuff. So, at the time, you're signing your name as Mariah X. Uh, what year is this, I would say, in your life? This is 20, like, 2010, 2011. Oh, so you were definitely, this was... I remember let's see 2010 2010 that was because see i was born in 94 so i knew mm -hmm. what grade i was in because of the last two digits or the last digit um of my uh yes. of, of the 2020 of the 20s you know what i'm saying so like mm -hmm. for me Same. 2010 was 10th grade so if i'm not mistaken 2000 and that means that's not that far from like Trayvon Martin. Um, can you speak? It was on? before. It was like right before Trayvon Martin. I right just before checked. Trayvon. Yeah. If I'm not. Yeah. Trayvon was like either 2012 or 2011. If I'm not mistaken. 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can only, and for me specifically, I didn't. I've never had the. I, I. I. So a little story about me. So I was going to hell on a scholarship, right? Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say it just like that. I, I was going to hell on a scholarship. You know what I'm saying? Majoring and minoring and being a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna say it just like that. Um, so I did not like, I, okay. So like, I only knew two things. God isn't real and I hate him. That's how my atheism works. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but, uh, for me, I was always telling people like, especially when navigating, like, I would say like as a black man through life, like I just could not reconcile in my brain, like things that happened to people that looked like us um but y'all want me to be cool calm and collected um in these pews you know what i'm saying i just could not rock with that mm -hmm. um what I, i'm trying i guess what i'm trying to say is like what did that that pushback in like if the, you could speak to the dichotomy of like what did the pushback feel like not only in school how that made you feel but what did the put if you did receive any pushback within like um those evangelical spaces growing up early um could you speak to like what those spaces were like and how those both impacted you at all by chance yeah so i think in school the pushback was was definitely that you know i was too radical i was making too much of a deal about things um you know uh it was you know i was just being just over the top and being dramatic and I think I was very much okay with that. Um, I also was like, uh, so I was undiagnosed ADHD in high school. So this was also for me a way to be, uh, to entertain myself in, in school, like finding ways to like press buttons and kind of be edgy or whatever 
was it was entertaining so it kept me yeah it kept me uh just like engaged in school so i was i think i had just gotten used to that i was used to um yeah to kids kind of just being like oh yeah we know she's a black panther you know uh don't give her you know a ak because she's gonna you know she's gonna be like the black panthers you know on the streets and all this other stuff um and i was like yeah and what like y'all all you folks got got guns in, your, in, in the back of your trucks like Wait, if black folks got guns, what's the problem? Like, and I was, they was, they were like, oh, we know what we should give her as a graduation gift is a Black Panther jacket. I was like, and I'll rock it in 90 degree heat. So what? Um, like, I just was, I think, uh, for better or for worse, I think, I think for better, yeah, I'll say for better or for worse, I was uh, very, um, yeah, I was very hard and jaded by the time I got to high school. So very little phased me. Um, like, I, you know, I didn't want to be, I didn't, like, I tried to dissuade everybody from being friends with me. Cause I was like, nah, I don't do friends. Like I'm cool. Um, and like that had some, uh, effects on like my emotional health and well-being as a person that took therapy to undo. But, um, but I think in some ways it served me cause I was just able to be as radical as I wanted to be. And like, none of the stuff that the teachers said really just like, it just didn't phase me at all. Um. Yeah, except except I had one teacher, the one who threatened to uh, suspend me as for writing my uh, name as Mariah X. Uh, I got lots of pushback from her, um, and you know she was like, "Hey, don't go to a four year school. You're just gonna waste your parents' money. Like, you know, you um, you know, you just need to uh, you know, you just need to kind of just play it low key. Go to a community college and just like." And I feel like her words were the only ones that like stuck with me just because it just felt very targeted. Like these, these things feel connected, right? Like I'm writing my name, Mariah X and you want to suspend me. And now you're trying to dissuade me from going away to college and all of this other stuff. And I was like, eh, um, but yeah, but for the most part, yeah, I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't phased by much. It was that and to some degree, it was that facing rejection very early um i always tell people if you disappoint people very early you don't care to be a disappointment so you know you recognize and they not really go like what i'm going to say and mm -hmm. i'm not going it sounds like to some degree it's like i would be dissatisfied and not like myself conforming to what they had to say and they don't like who yeah. i am when i conform to myself so mm -hmm. it's a lost loss but Mm -mm. Yeah, and and the best thing was like I didn't get I never got pushback from like my parents. So I was like, if my parents is cool and they have the highest standards, like then I'm not really worried about y'all. Like if y'all are dissatisfied with me, like my grades are good, so you can't really be too mad. So if my parents are fine with what I'm saying, then yeah, I don't really I don't really want to hear what you got to say. So like I don't know if you saw my con I had to hop in the comment section for this. I said I'm gonna yeah. need Pastor Mariah to preach in an oversized T-shirt and some black Air Forces because like I'm just I just need I need that one good time. Like <laughs> we could probably make that happen. I'm gonna need, need that one good time because I feel like my spur, my spur need that. I need to see that just one good Sunday. Absolutely. Oh um, yeah. But, high, high school Mariah was definitely some black Air Force energy for sure. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling it right now, you know what I'm saying? Which is not a bad thing. I, I love it, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's just dripping through the airways, and hopefully everybody else can hear this. If you're not seeing it on screen, you can hear it in your headphones and in your car stereos. But yeah. Um, so, one thing that I am curious about is like, I... I, I, you told me that you you told me that you grew up in the church and everything like that. You obviously have had this, um, to some degree. Like I, I tell people, Sadaka. I know I don't know if you know anything about Sadaka by chance. When we're talking about old, no. If we're talking about old messianic um, Jewish obligation for those, when we're talking about to be a people of justice and charity and stuff, that's what I kind of get from mm-hmm. you. Is that you have that print? You had that principle instilled in you very early. Um, how did I would say like after high school how were you able to nurture and establish your faith i would say like just nurture your faith for yourself after you got out of high school like what was that like for you navigating out of high school because a lot of people tell me like i said i didn't grow up in church i did not you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? i like that's why like when i get in these like evangelical spaces like oh my god like they're like oh the people like this this one of my boys um one of the boys one of my homies in the comments right now like he could tell you we were at this one diner in baltimore city and this dude was we were talking about this before we went live preaching right his name was deacon Mm -hmm. not even kidding this man was preaching and he he was being driven by the spirit i don't know if it was the holy spirit but he was driven by the spirit some type of spirits i don't know maybe it was the spirits in his glass that's besides the point and like all the faces of these folk that was around me they was like oh my god i can't believe they were just i'm like it's two o'clock in the morning we are in their town (laughs) (laughs) like we cannot be surprised by this did you go through that i would say like that sense of shock kind of like um where like will smith when he first showed up to like the house of bel-air where he was just like "Mm, this is nice like this different like how did, did can you speak about that time for um for yourself and what was that like for you yeah so uh after after high school i went to uh i i can't explain why i went there and yeah so i went to a small college next to liberty university called lynchburg college um no, first off after, uh, I, I, so you're talking about liberty university i am getting a degree from liberty university um i remember the first time i went to lynchburg virginia um it was during Winterfest of 2014 and my black behind mm-hmm. when i showed up there was like wait this town is called lynchburg virginia and i, yeah. I can only imagine um black air force <laughs> yeah. yeah um i i can't to this day i can't recall i i can't go back to that thought process um but all i can say was i was president of the black student union as a sophomore um because they were just like all right clearly you could you you can handle this um but uh yeah i went to lynchburg college and uh had a really hard time finding churches there uh but i would kind of checked out some of the campus ministries and i think some of that that black air force energy came with me as well because i was like i don't i don't want what y'all got like i don't know what these little bible studies are but this theology sounds whack this sounds very white 
Um, I don't even know if I like had the language for like Jesus for the way that, that my Jesus is black. Um, and we, we could talk about me and my black Jesus because uh, I have a specific image of how Jesus is black to me. But I was like, just no, I don't want this. Um, and I pretty much went to all of the the campus ministries and they all tried to recruit me because they were like, oh, you're already a Christian. You could be a Bible study leader, all that. I was like, these Bible studies ain't saying nothing. I was like, this just sounds like y'all trying to hand out rules and con- and like control people. I was like, I don't need this. I don't like, I was like, I know that, you know, I could, my relationship with Jesus could be stronger, but I know I don't need this. So pretty much I was like, I'm going to, you know, lone wolf it through my two years here. I tried to go to this church and I, the first time I showed up, I was the only black person there. And I was like, so this probably isn't going to be the church. Um, I think I want maybe one, one or two more times and couldn't do it. Um, so for the majority of the two years, I was just like, all right, I'm going to learn how to be a Christian on my own. And like, I knew that my theology didn't agree with that, but I was like, I feel like that's my best option right now. Um, so I did that and I had, you know, uh, a really good friend who was also a Pentecostal Christian and, you know, we would hang out and it, we would talk about faith and stuff like that. And that was the, that was pretty much it. Um, and then after my sophomore year, I grad, I transferred to Hampton university, best decision I ever made. Um, Hampton was amazing. And, uh, there, there was like this active, really popping, like student camp, like student led church on campus. Uh, I became an usher. I was like, I was a top notch usher. Like, um, I was like, nah, uh, Hey, we ushers, we're going to be in line. Okay. If we need to come in for rehearsal at 3 PM on a Saturday, we're going to get it together. Okay. Cause we are going to be, we are going to be the best ushers that Hampton university has ever seen. Um, so I loved, I was like headed the ushers. I loved it. It was great. Um, but I also like really got plugged in there and was like, uh, really i think developing what uh yeah what i thought about what i thought about jesus what i thought about faith um and ex- and i think experimenting a lot with worship and figuring out what what worship feels like for me and what what is worshipful for me um and i and i think that's where i kind of started to see i was like oh service can be a form of worship um because growing up as a kid in ministry serving in church was work we went to church to work and if we met Jesus there, cool. Um, but kind of once we got old enough to be useful in the church, we went to church to work and like maybe met Jesus. So I was like learning what it meant to meet Jesus in serving. Um, and then also to just have a space where I was with other young people who were asking big questions about Jesus and about what faith looks like. Mm. And and I think getting beyond the, can we do this? Can we do that? Is this allowed? Is this not allowed? Because I was like, these don't feel like like the most important questions of like, what can I do? What can't I do? But like, how should we be thinking about these things? And I feel like that was where I was able to kind of begin to ask those questions. Um, And I think quickly found myself being someone that people would ask those questions of me. Um, And I felt kind of, I I enjoyed being able to answer those questions for other people, you know? So being like, Hey, you're trying to figure out, all right, what is, you know, what's the, uh, yeah, the, honor the honoring thing to do in this situation so let's ask you know what are the pros and what are the cons of this and kind of walking people through decision making and stuff like that um 
and I did it as an RA, but I kind of, I was like, oh God, I think you'd like, you might be up to something here. Um, and that was a really cool experience for me. Once something that you said there, and I, 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 like I said, hmm, because I thought about like how important that is for a very impressionable person um, to be able to have the space to be able to, I would say like explore to some degree, try to, I would say just have skepticism and be allowed to have skepticism. Mm -hmm. um, talk about like, I, I really want you to like take a dive on that um what that was for you to be able to ask those difficult questions um having somebody to be patient enough to answer these questions for you and how important that is for somebody that may be i would say seeking or trying to understand and reconcile hmm. to um i would say like the spirit of god and trying to yield to the holy spirit how important it is for them to be able to ask these questions have somebody that is patient enough to allowed them to have these questions be asked and you know to have that reconciled for them can you talk about like how important that was for you and how that can be imperative and building for everybody else moving forward yeah i think for me uh i think the best way for for me to to explain how important it is is like that it's the core of what i do now as a youth pastor um is i give them space to um to ask questions um because i think it started really my last couple years of of undergrad but um but really when i was in divinity school and being exposed to a bunch of different ideas and a bunch of different ways of thinking about things having people around me who i could think about these things with and ask questions and not be seen as a heathen or a sinner or a heretic or whatever but just trying to work through some things and ask and ask some questions and kind of be like, okay, so if God is like this, then how do we, if we say God is good and God is loving and God, you know, wants um, good things for us, then how do we deal with hell? And like, and all of those things and being able to ask those questions without anybody judging me, uh, that was so, imp that was, yeah, it was so instrumental for me to, uh, to just, I think have the permission to let my mind really think about what it means to to follow Jesus with my whole life. And for me to follow Jesus with my whole life means to follow Jesus with my whole mind. Um, and for me, I'm a thinker. So if I can't, if this, if this isn't making sense to my mind and to how I'm thinking about the world, then I can't do it. Um, so, and that was, I think, the issue I ran into as a kid growing up in church was uh, my pastor didn't really love for me to ask a lot of questions um, and definitely got annoyed by them or would just send me off to go find my own answers on Google because um, he didn't often know the answers. And so when I got to divinity school and I had places to kind of find answers, I, I wanted to dive in and I was like, okay, I need to figure out my theology on this. And how does this line up with this theology? Um, and for me, it was like, honestly, to be like a kid in a candy store, just getting to work through my thoughts on so many different things um, and just to have that space. And I feel like it did wonders for my faith now because I know, because I've tested God and I, and I know that God isn't scared of my questions. I know that my faith can handle some questions. Um, I know that, you know, um, yeah, that God isn't uh, disapproving or annoyed or, uh, 
disappointed by me asking questions. Uh, so that was completely instrumental to me. So now as a youth pastor, every uh, six weeks or so, we do a Ask Me Anything Sunday, um, where throughout the month they can they can put uh, anonymous questions in a jar and I pick questions out the jar and we answer them. And I give them the honest answers I got. And when I don't know, I say, I don't know. Um, and when I'm like, huh, let's think through that. We can talk through it together um, because I want them to, I want them to understand that like, it's not until you start thinking critically and asking questions that you've really made yourself, your faith, your own. Yeah. Cause I think like to some degree, it's no different than like anybody that's ever driven a car before. Like, you know, it's not good enough to just drive just because you know, this gas pedal does what it's supposed to do. But if you don't even know how to like, I would say like if you don't know how to troubleshoot meaning like if you don't hey mm -hmm. what if this goes wrong what if i need to run maintenance on this i think it becomes more personable in yours when you're able to do so you and i'm not saying hey drive without i'm not saying drive your your faith irresponsibly just like you should drive your car irresponsibly but like you know skepticism you know skepticism is not a bad thing as long as you I would say like to some degree accept the answer that you do find but allow yourself to seek and try to find these answers and also i would say creating a space and an atmosphere where others can have that with you um something that me and my something me and my my partner do is like you know she she's still navigating i would say like with in trying to reconcile you know also being a black woman in this society oh my gosh um and you know reconciling with like god's role in all of this that happens in the world and i take my time i try not to get frustrated um and i have to recognize that you know it's not like i'm put on trial necessarily um and i'm to just recognize and i have to remember that if i'm going to be an ambassador to the faith that if i'm short-tempered with answering questions about god's goodness um mercy grace and all those things that i'm going to in other words leave an impression that if i'm short-tempered then god's going to be short-tempered with them too so it's important to be able to provide that space because if you know one of his hungry and faithful followers is like if you in a bad mood and you don't want to tell me mm -hmm. to cling on to this then what he like because he don't want to give you direction so like I think it's um, mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that like you you say that and you you express the importance of that, especially when you have, um, I mean, in some in some sense, you have the inheritance of heaven, children in your care, and how important it is that if you don't provide that space for them young, it may be detrimental mm -hmm. to them when they got trauma, pain, and experience that get in the way um, as they get older. Yeah, I tell them all the time, like, there is nothing wrong with asking questions of your faith, with being skeptical. Just don't just don't do it by yourself, um, because I think when we do it alone and we isolate ourselves, that's when things kind of can take uh, can take turns that we don't want them to. Um, but yeah, I'd say ask all the questions you want. Um, yeah, just do it with with somebody else and preferably me. Um, but yeah, I tell but. I try to give them a wide variety of adults to talk to um, so that they know that they can yeah, ask those questions and not be judged for them. Absolutely. Because I think, and also to some degree, it's just like, um, I think like, 
it's it's funny like if you create like that sense of shame very early like i mean we see that we saw that very early like in the garden we saw that um we saw that with judas um when he when he fled from god and i don't think people recognize that like even if they say if like they just ask something to be like i don't know to say they try to be an a-hole or something i don't know but like mm-hmm. you have to allow them you have to allow them to be able to just know it's okay to bring that before us you know what i'm saying um you wouldn't kick your children out of your home you should not be able to, you should not be ready to kick somebody out of your life just because they're trying to test the waters to some degree um so yeah yeah i i tell them nothing's off limits until it is um <laughs> I was like, nothing is off limits until y'all start asking stuff that's inappropriate, and then then it'll be off limits. Um, that is such a I just, that is such a African American mom proverb. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that, but yeah. like uh-huh. <laughs> nothing's off limits until it is. Um, and I mean, they I, there's always a question in there about my dating life, and that they know which question it is because I when I look at and I toss it aside and keep moving like it never existed, um, because I'm not gonna say it's off limits, but I'm. I'm just going to refuse to answer those questions. Gotcha. Uh, absolutely. Um, so you're you're in Hampton. You're in the the real HU at this time. You're mm-hmm. about, I would say, like 20 or so. Um, and you're at what stage in this life? You're going in for a divinity, um, but you got a couple of notches on your belt. So like, you know, keep tracking for us. Keep tracking for us. So where, so we're in Hampton now where are we at in this stage in our life like what are, what what is Mariah doing at this stage um in their yeah. life in this time period yeah at Hampton I'm majoring in sociology so uh I think unknowingly I ended up doing my thesis on uh religion and race and gender and uh and how gender and uh gender and race affect re- uh, rates of religiosity, right? Like, why does it seem like Black women end up being uh, more uh, attached to their faith and more uh, religious or, or pious than other folks? So that was my um, that was my my thesis that I worked on for a year and a half at Hampton. Um, so at that time, I was not thinking about divinity school, none of that. I was thinking about uh, go- going and being a sociologist. I was thinking about being a researcher. Um, pretty much until the end of my junior year um, when I started to think about graduate schools. So I was thinking about, hey, I'm honestly trying to save the world from racism. I'm like, hey, if we can have some good scholarship around this stuff, if we can, um, yeah, educate folks, like maybe we can really change systems of oppression. So that was where my mindset was. Uh, And then until I had this conversation with uh, some residents of mine about divinity school, um, and then I was like, all right, um, God, if I feel like this is what you want me to do, um, I feel completely and totally unprepared and I'm like, not the right type of person to be a pastor. So I should probably go to school and like be as prepared as possible. Um, because, uh, being a pastor is one of the most important jobs. Like you really deal with people's souls and I feel like I'm not the t- right type of person for that. So let me at least be as educated as possible. So that's when I started the the process of applying to to, uh, to divinity schools because I was like, even if I'm not fully sure I'm called to be a pastor, I was like, I think I could be a theologian anyway. So you know, let me have the best of both worlds where I can go to a divinity school as opposed to a seminary, 
where I can have the academic background to be a theologian, um, just in case I'm not actually called to be a pastor. Um, so that was kind of my, uh, my compromise with God per se. Um, and, uh, yeah, I ended up applying and getting into Yale, uh, and then went. So, yeah, that's, uh, so Hampton was, Hampton was definitely like, uh, uh-uh. no, 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 We're not doing that. Mm-mm. So like, we're not going to just like casually like this flex is brought to you by no we're not going just casually <laughs> we're not going just casually say that can you you got into where can you say that one more again one more again one more again i got into i got into yale as in the the y a l e yale that that yale yes okay okay yes, okay yale. all right all right so Dude. like i say that because like um i say that everybody um because i was getting you know i was asking for like a description to describe my sister um before we went live on here and like you know she's break down you know she was hitting all her notches and bells and stuff i said wow you like you like pretty dope and then she's gonna get on here and be like oh you know i didn't get a gun to yale like no how dare you black air forces how dare <laughs> so so let me clarify uh that bio that i sent you uh i did not write my best friend wrote it because she knew that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would leave that stuff out. Okay. So, um, I didn't write it myself. I, she gave me a list of, uh, a list of bios that I could copy and paste. That's she my knew best I wouldn't friend. Do it right. Yes. I got you. Got you. <laughs> she was I like, know. I don't trust you. She was like, so here you go. I'm going to tell you what to say. Your best friend sounds like my best friend, my best friend over here. Like she, she, uh, we, we have this joke where it's just like, accept your flowers i'm like uh i don't really need it but though which is funny because like my love language is affirmation so yeah we need people like mm-hmm. that just let it happen even though i'm a total hypocrite because i literally put people in timeout in my comment section for complimenting me so don't feel bad i understand wow. so yeah I, I'm, I'm 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 petty my spiritual i like the the fruit i bear is pettiness um and mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just hey, the, it's okay. We we all still work in progress. It's absolutely. okay. Absolutely, yes. Like a like an Andy Minio album. Absolutely, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so first off, like I said, we're not gonna just gloss by that you you and your Black Air Forces got into Yale. You know what I'm saying? Can we talk about like what that experience was like for you? Um, for sure, I need to hear this. Um, cause, mm, Yale, I. <laughs> I'm, I, I need to hear this, Black Air Forces. What's up? Like, what? Yo, what so, where are it, we at in this <laughs> in this journey? For sure, for sure. Man, so yeah, so left Hampton um, and went straight to went straight to Yale. Um, so I was the youngest person uh, at Yale Divinity School when I came in. Um, so I had, I think, I had just turned twenty two um, when I started my program. Um, it is super rare to go to Divinity School. Uh, straight through, um, straight after under, undergrad, like there were people in my incoming class who were old enough to be my grandparents. So I was kind of there, like super intimidated, like, man, um, I was like, y'all have all this life experience, all of this ministry experience. Like, I don't really know. I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, it was, and it was super, uh, I don't even know the word because I was a okay student. Um, but I wasn't all A's or none of that, um, until I got to, until I got to college. 
yeah, I, I would say my sophomore year of college was when things kind of turned around because I realized that I had ADHD. So once I got the diagnosis, then I was kind of able to uh, to work with my brain instead of against it and was able to kind of turn things around. So it felt very like it felt very unbelievable that somebody who was the type of student I was, um, yeah, going to Yale. Uh, and yeah, and then there was uh, then there was definitely some folks who were like, oh, you came from HBCU to Yale. That's impressive. Um, in like the most microaggression. Micro way. Uh, it was, um, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, but by the grace of God, like I came in with like nine or 10 other folks who went to HBCUs who were black folks who were young. Um, and we had the best experience together. Like for those three years, um, we like did it together. Uh, I'm staying up late nights. Uh, my mother would send boxes of fruit snacks and um, she would like send snacks and I would, and we would take like a classroom and we would be up till sunrise, right? We, we'd get to the school at 9 PM and be there until, you know, sunrise the next morning working and trying to, you know, trying to grind through it because we were not used to uh, the Ivy League way of doing things, the Ivy League way of writing or whatever. Um, so it definitely was like a, a culture shock in many ways. Uh, but at the same time, I came in and I had a advisor who, who was like an auntie. Um, she was a black auntie and she got me together every time she had a chance. Um, she was like, don't take that class. You're being hard-headed. She was like, uh-uh. Um, like there was definitely a paper where I asked for an extension and she said I couldn't get an extension until I had a plate of food with, with green things on it. And I sent her a picture of my plate, um, to make sure that I was eating because she was like, you're not about to kill yourself for these white folks and their papers. And I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right. I, right. But like I had at the same time where I'm dealing with like professors who I wrote a paper on Tupac and my professor was like, I've never heard um, any of Tupac's music, but I will have to just take your word for it. Um, at the same time, like doing that, I have like these, this black auntie who is my advisor, who, you know, is making sure that, um, yeah, that my soul and my spirit as well. Right. Uh, and then I was like being challenged on every front. Like, I don't know how much Augustine I read, how much Anselm, uh, like it was all of these white dudes I'd never heard of. And kind of, I, I felt like I was behind the, uh, the eight ball, right. Because these are people that I guess white folks were hearing about all the time. And I was like, I've never heard, I don't know what Augustine talks about. Is it Augustine? Is it Augustine? Like all of these, there was so many, so much theology. I had so much white theology I'd never heard of. Um, and I felt like I was behind. Yeah. I was just behind. And uh, thankfully I had like this great group of black folks who were like, you're not behind. Like one is their job to teach you. And two, like you didn't need to know that, that stuff anyway. Um, so I was also able to get, uh, a great, um, education in black theology, black liberation theology. Um, you, after I made a fool of myself in my first black theology class, um, I was hard headed and I thought I knew a lot. Um, and made a fool of myself in my first black theology class. But after that, I learned a lot. Um, and I had some of the the most amazing um, professors ever. And I think the thing about Yale is uh, you just have access to so much. 
Um, you have access to everyone, everything, um, even though you necessarily shouldn't, um, but you just have access. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with James Cone, um, the father of black theology, uh, I was able to meet him and have a conversation with him um, in his last public, uh, in his last public lecture alive um, because I was a photographer for the event. I was able to meet Brian Stevenson um, because I was a photographer, I was a student photographer for the event. Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah, if you name probably a, a black theologian, um, I've probably, yeah, I've probably met them at some point, um, because I have, because I just had access that the access that Yale provides. Right. Um, so I think that's the bigger thing, right. Is it's like, I don't know how much people are, how much people are smarter, um, more so that they're, they just have access to things. Um, and that's the difference between Yale or any other university is like, actually the people who are writing the, the textbooks that every other seminary and divinity school student are reading, I just happen to, to be taking the class from them. Um, which sounds like a flex, but is just like a matter of just proximity. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think it makes me better. Um, I think I just got, you know, different trauma because um, it was definitely a, a hard experience for sure. Gotcha, um, gotcha. I'm, I'm still trying to regulate my sleep schedule after divinity school. Gotcha. How, how far removed um, are, are you outside of um, divinity school, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I graduated 2019, so May 2019. So it's been like three years or so. So that kind of leads into like my next question. So like, so this is 2019 heading into 2020. Um, you know, obviously like we're all, we're all impacted about what happens next, you know, on lockdown. Somebody decides to not, I'm not giving 45, no wreck on my channel. Um, somebody decides to not close down the country though. Like people don't know how to cover their mouths. That's besides the point. And, you know, we're all home, essentially, like the whole world stops, basically, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're in this pandemic. We're still in it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know about y'all, but like, yeah. you know, no, we still in it. look, bro, it sounds horrible, but like, OK, I hear a gunshot. I'm in Baltimore City. If I hear a gunshot, I hear police sirens, all those things. I don't flinch. Somebody coughs, my nigga. Let me tell you something. I'm I can't have it. I will run do you understand me i won't run but i'll definitely go mm -mm. I, like, I, I definitely i do the very dramatic lean back like i do the nah bro mm -mm, mm -mm. I, I stay with i just nah just <sighs> so anyway uh sorry i had to be ratchet for a second um <laughs> but like so you know we're all home during this time and i know for me specifically this was like the hardest time for me in my faith because you know i got saved got saved when i was 19. um i'm about 26 at this time and this is like the first time that i've had to be away from like you know the church um be away as far as like quinonia with folk in a physical sense um, and I recognize for me personally that I, this time feeding myself spiritually, this on me, you know what I'm saying? Like this, I got to do mm -hmm. I got to do this joint, you know what I'm saying? And I can't, 
I can't like because you know like you could we used to we were doing live streams and stuff like that um at the time at my old church like you could easily watch from live but like as far as like bible studies and um Mm -hmm. just being used to like routine um i have an addictive personality and so for me like when my routine is thrown off it kind of is like a shock to my system um and it really Mm -hmm. deeply impacted my faith but once i found that groove it was like i've never felt more let's say plugged in um as far as to the power source because i didn't even though i'm not catholic i didn't have to jump through like Mm -hmm. so many like different like people to feel like i am in spiritual alignment you know what i'm saying can you speak of like what I would say like the beginning of the pandemic period was like for you did it impact your faith regardless of the fact that you grew up in church um if so what was that like for you and if you want to just kind of talk about like that time period when it first began uh can you do that for me please yeah um so right after graduation i went i moved to dc uh to work uh in community for in communications for a church there um i was a communications coordinator uh at a yeah at a DC non-denominational church and uh I think pretty early on into my time working there so I started 20 I started uh August 2019 so probably by like November December uh of 2019 I had fallen into a deep depression Um, things with the job were hard. Uh, I think my, uh, theological misalignments with the church got hard. Like just the, uh, the whole setup, I think work environment, everything was just really hard for me. Um, and, um, so I was, I was depressed. So by the time we got to March of 2020, I think by that point I was, I was like numb, right? I was just like, I was going to, I was working at a church where we would have two morning services and then I would go to a, another church in the afternoon to go to their evening service. Um, and I was like doing this. And so my Sundays would like be jam packed and I'm like, and I would go to the evening service just to be like, all right, God, like, look, I'm trying, like, I feel nothing inside, but like, I'm trying. Um, but I think just being in DC was just really hard. Um, it, yeah, just, I think it took me all out of my spiritual rhythms. I, uh, wasn't in a church where I was doing work that I felt like I believed in. Um, so it was just really hard for me. Um, so by the time the pandemic started, the, anybody who worked in church communications became the most important person. So while everybody else's work slowed down, mine ramped up, right? So I'm having to figure out how are we doing online church? How are we live streaming? What what equipment do we need? Like, how are we doing this? Like, experimenting, I'm going nonstop, right? Uh, so I think that is where I learned. I, I thought I came up with the term, but I figured that I figured out that it was a term called functional depression um, because I was still getting up and doing all of the things I needed to do. Um, but on the inside, just like, just numb. Um, so when the pandemic started, uh, and I'm doing all of this stuff. Uh, I was able to make it so that on Sundays, um, we would just like, uh, it wasn't like actually live. It was like pre-recorded that would go live. And I continue to advocate for that so that I could watch my church in New Haven that I currently work at, 
um, I could watch their live stream. So for me, uh, it the pandemic actually helped a lot because I was because everything was online, so I was able to connect to my community in New Haven um, that I missed, and um, and I was able to do that. So my at the beginning of the pandemic, me and my best friend. Um, we would be on FaceTime pretty much all day Sunday and we would go from church to church to church and we would go to some churches for the worship, some churches for the sermons, um, some churches to critique the sermons because we both have, you know, uh, degrees in theology. So we would, some churches we would just go to, you know, have a little critique of the sermon um, and then we would watch our church at, at, at four o'clock and that I think saved me in so many ways. Um, then once the youth group started to go uh, on Zoom, I was able to go back to leading a youth group. And that was uh, that was great for me because I was leading this high school girls group um, where it was a space for them to uh, to kind of talk about what they were feeling and to, uh, and to kind of vent out what they were going through. But also it was a space for me to, um, I think just, it was just a spiritual space, right? Where I could like, just be like, hey, you know what? I think we just need, you know, to sit in silence for a couple minutes and we just gonna pray. And like to have that space uh, to do that for me, I think, uh, I think it just saved me in so many, in so many ways. Like, uh, yeah, the, the pandemic as hard as it was for some people, for me, everything going virtual allowed me to connect back to, uh, to the people and to the community that had brought me so much life. Um, and I think I realized, and also I learned to find God in walks. Um, so, uh, I'll, even to this day, I'm very much like, if I need to, if I need to pray, if I need to get some stuff right with the Lord, I'd go for walks. So I learned my neighborhood very well, but I was just, I, it gave me a different way to, to be able to connect to my community and, um, to just be encouraged. Cause I was giving everything I had to the church I worked for. Um, but then just had like nothing left for me, um, so it was, uh, it was tough, but, I, but also that was when I really realized like, oh, I can't be somewhere where like, I always said when I was in DC, I was like, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Like I felt like my prayers were hitting the ceiling and like, I couldn't breathe. Um, so every three months I would go back to New Haven and I was like, man, I can inhale here. Um, I can like breathe here. I can meet God here in a totally different way. Um, I made the joke for years. I made, yeah, I'm, kind of still make the joke. I was like, DC got demons. I don't know what it is, but I couldn't pray there from the moment I moved in. I was like, and it might have also been 45, um, who's, you know, in the White House. But I was like, DC got demons. Um, I don't, I was like, my prayer, I was like, I don't want to pray. Uh, DC got demons. So I would go back to New Haven and sometimes it would just be for like a weekend just to like breathe and reset. Um, so yeah, so being uh, in lockdown, I was just able to connect in a different way. And uh, yeah, I, I think to this day, I'm like, yeah, I think that, I think that saved, that saved me in a major way. I feel that. I think for me, it was um, like, I, I spoke about this um, many times on this platform, uh, how the pandemic allowed me to recognize the, it sounds like to you, to some degree, you went through like a book of Ecclesiastes type of, um oh yeah like season where it's like you recognize how much vanity was in your life and even like the trap that a lot of us especially i found out that like in some degree this is abusive theology where like especially for the like people that look like us where we 
we're taught servitude you know very early that like you know especially in like pentecostal spaces i went to a mm -hmm. um pentecostal church where it's just like oh you gotta you gotta really get you gotta squeeze you, like like the holy spirit is like an orange or something you gotta really squeeze mm -hmm. the fruit you gotta really squeeze the fruit to get the juice out of this mug you know what i'm saying and what ends up happening is is like you end up like beating yourself into submission to think that you have a form of godliness which is indeed a metric of vanity and mm -hmm. it ends up when it don't work every time, you know what I'm saying? You're like, wait, I thought up, up, down, down, left, right got me the whole got me to fall out in the spirit. Like it did, <laughs> it didn't work. You know what I'm saying? It just it would lead to a lot of confusion, um, in a lot of ways. Because then you're thinking like, maybe I'm doing something wrong in my spirit. And on top of that, like maybe like God is not satisfied with my works. Maybe my faith is broken because faith without works is dead. You know what I'm saying? Um. Oh, you good. Um, but I definitely relate to that because like I had to recognize that how many little gods there were in my life at the time. And when I say like little gods, like my loyalty to the ministry, my loyalty to the certain people in the ministry, um, my loyalty to even like, you know, being like the image and the idea that other people had of me me being able to be removed um from the church to some degree like everybody else had the um, opportunity to i recognize that i spent too much time in the face of man and not enough time on my face or in the face of god getting that real face time you know what i'm saying um and i felt like spiritually awakened because for me i didn't have i, I didn't have anything to compare it to um, but I felt spiritually awakened to some degree because I was finally able to have what everybody is supposed to have when we're talking about this life. Um, so yeah, and I, I definitely feel that it's, um, it's a dangerous place to be in, um, in your faith for sure. Um, so yeah. Um, one thing that I am curious about, and I can kind of, maybe this is an assumption, um maybe this is because i know you have black air forces you might have like a couple of pair in your closet i don't know um but i am curious um you know i i spoke on when we before like i started like asking you questions and stuff like that um what this time period was like for you so we're still in like the pandemic um we spoke of march um you know we hear about the rumblings of what happened in kentucky with brianna taylor we we hear about what happened with some with ahmaud arbery um, we're exposed to the video, unfortunately, though, um, in May, um, I think it was like either mid-May or early May of 2020. And then we see, see the video, um, we see the video of the assassination of George Floyd. And for the first time in, for the first time, I would say in my life, that's when no, I feel like unless you were Amish, Meaning, like, you did not have internet access or, like, a television near you. You did not have the luxury to ignore black, brut you know, brutality of what happened to black people. You know what I'm saying? Police brutality, um, violence on us as a people. Can you talk to me about, I guess, like, that time period um, with the combination of being away from church, being out of these spaces... Um, our whole routine is thrown off and then we have to deal with Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. What was that time period like for you? Man, um, 
Yeah. So at the at the time, uh, I was like I said, I was living in D.C. and I was living with the woman who uh, embodied what it means to be a Karen. Um, so she would just call the cops on people on our block, um, which I could not. Uh, I could not tell her enough that like that was not okay. That did not make me feel safe. Um, and also then to like be a couple blocks away from where like protesting is happening. Um, it was, it definitely felt like very much like being in the middle of it, uh, which was, I think, yeah, which was hard. Um, especially I think in part in partially because I'm like, I'm seeing now on like social media and Facebook, the same people who um, was was ignoring me years ago, right? Ignoring me in high school, saying I was being dramatic. It's now like, oh man, I can't believe our country. This is not the country that you know that I thought we were. And I was like, now nah, I've been trying to tell you for years that this is the country that we are. Like, why are you acting brand new? Um, so that I think frustrated me in ways, but also I think uh, I I think I felt my vulnerability in a different way. Um, especially being in DC, I think I, yeah, I just, I was like, oh, wow, this feels, I think, close in, in a totally different way. Um, and then I was at a church pastored by a white man, um, who was handling the situation very poorly. And I felt a lot of guilt, um, to be honest, because I was, you know, I was the person behind the camera as he was preaching these sermons or, you know, doing these interviews with his black pastor friend, um, and like hearing him say stuff that I'm like, oh man, like I know how this is going to hurt people. I know how this is going to sound to the black community. And I, I in some way feel responsible for this. Um, I was like, this is my job, right? Like I have to make the live stream. Um, so that was a weird feeling for me to be like, oh, in some ways I'm res like, I don't know what he's going to say before he says it, but like, I'm the one who like, presses upload. So in some ways I'm responsible for this. Uh, and that was hard because I, I was like, I know the ways that this is going to impact uh, the black folks in this church. Um, and I think that's when I was like, I don't want another white pastor. Um, I was like, at least not for a long time. I was like, I, after 20, after summer 2020, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, because I was just seeing the ways that, um, yeah, he was just kind of speaking kind of recklessly. And I was like, yikes. Um, yeah, and then uh, I was um, I was kind of involved in some groups uh, based in New Haven who were trying to figure out what it meant to um, to uh, to be people of justice in the midst of this, um, who were, you know, pray, who were saying, yes, we can pray regularly, but we also need concrete action and we need to figure out what that action looks like what does it mean to talk about housing justice what does it mean to talk about um uh especially in new haven the way that yale uh pretty much gentrifies new haven and creates all of these systemic uh oppression issues um and those things i think helped me to kind of feel like i was doing something to be a part of the solution while i also felt like at uh inadvertently I was part of the problem. Um so that was like a tough What do you mean for what me. do you mean for me is for what do you mean for you as far as like you while inadvertently you felt like you were still part of the problem. Like break that down for me what you mean by that. Yeah, I think a part of the problem as far as 
uh, yeah, being the person who was behind the live stream promoting this pastor who was saying things that I knew would be hurtful to the black community, uh, that I knew would be hurtful you. to people. Um, and I was like, and, and I think now I can see that, like, it was my job. What was I going to do? Tell him, you know, every Sunday I lost your sermon. Like, oh, the file got corrupted again. Like, that wasn't going to work because that would have meant I would have came in Saturday night at 9 p.m., like, coming to re-record the thing. Um, right? So I, I had no I had no recourse in that. Um, but all I knew was, like, I feel like I'm hitting upload, and I know that this is, uh, that this is going to hurt this is going to feel hurtful to people. Um, so that was, it was a hard place to be in for sure. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I think to some degree, I think we all, um, I spoke on this a little bit earlier, um, especially for us as a people, um, typically if we do or do not have pastors that look like us, we have this like, I would say like it's tied to like our generational trauma to some degree like it's the i have this allegiance to this 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 spiritual guidance this man that's guiding me and directing me um typically it's usually a man um at least in my experience mm -hmm. um where we don't feel like we can speak up and then it's oh and then like now as i've been kind of like decolonizing my theology um and being I'm still I'm in the church. See, it, it sounds weird to say this, like you know, be in the world but not of it. Like I'm in the church but not of it. Some days, um, <laughs> meaning like I'm still righteous, but the institution I just cannot bang with. I don't know what it is. I, I'm still working on it. Um, maybe because like to some degree, well, not some degree, like the church delegated slavery. So I'm still trying to relegate. I'm still trying to reconcile with that. Um, but I've recognized that like that's tied to like our generational trauma that. We never necessarily fully break off that allegiance to some degree because of like that i would say like that involuntary like switch in our head so i feel like a lot of people that look like us went through this in a time period of 2020 for sure um so yeah i can definitely see that because i definitely was like i definitely like i worked within communications um i was you know i was going and attending a church even though at some point i was like hey we're starting to have more people that could come to church you come i'm like i'm i'm at a protest i'm speaking here i'm speaking here i'm speaking mm -hmm. here like i'm doing what you're yep. supposed to be doing out here but we can talk we can talk and like for me i felt like until i start getting the own personal my own personal heat from the pulpit is when i decided to denounce um that ministry specifically um, and I feel like a lot of times when we're met with that, it's just like, hmm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so one of the things that I am curious about was like, I feel like as we're talking about this, like we found, we got back into alignment or we got aligned for the first time in our faith, um, especially for us as a people. Did you feel like... <laughs> I don't know how you could do this, uh, Mariah X. Uh, did you feel like that you kind of either found, rediscovered, or surprised by your purpose around your time? For me, I stepped into like what I'm doing now. This is part of my activism. I do like speaking engagements. I do forums. I literally will hit the streets um, and advocate and raise awareness for other issues. 
I'm just curious, what was you on in 2020? Like, did you get, did you get, did you get a new pair of Black Air Forces? Like, what was popping? Like, yeah. what, I need to know. You know what I'm saying? What, yeah, what's going so, on with you? <laughs> so, summer 2020, uh, I would, I would have loved to say that I was, but unfortunately, I wasn't. Like, I was, I was grinding at this church, um, and I think then kind of realized, all right, now I need to go. So uh, I think it was like May, June, I said, uh, I had a conversation with our pastor and was like, hey, so um, he was like, so, you know, where do you want to be working in, you know, the future? And he was like, let's talk about this at our next meeting in two weeks. And I said, oh, yeah, we could talk about my future plans in two weeks. And as soon as we hung up that Zoom call, I called my associate pastor at the church I'm at now. I was like, hey, I need you to help me figure out how I'm going to tell this man I'm quitting. Um, I was like, cause I'm getting out of here and I'm moving back to New Haven. I was like, I don't have a job. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I just know I can't be here no more. Um, and I was like, and I don't need this white man to cry on the phone. So help me figure this out. Uh, thanks for the our assistant pastor. <laughs> no, no. Our assistant pastor is white, right? Shout out to, uh, shout out to Patrick. Um, he's white and he was like, I would role play with you to help you figure out how to quit this job. So this man doesn't cry. Um, he was like, cause you don't need those white tears in your life. And he was like, yo, we will figure this out. Cause I, he was like, Shorty, if you need it. See, you handled like, that. Can I just, uh, let me stitch myself for a second. I, you handled that a lot better than I did. Cause like, so like, oh, pastor, um, he did a snipe from the pulpit. Like he was, he's talking oh, big, no. big ish. You know what I'm saying? And so what I did was like, you know what? I'm going to do this as maybe passive aggressively as possible i'm just gonna send a tweet and I, posted it on I said all right well i'm done with this church basically and when i say my phone was blowing up like shorty it was like they were like where are you i will literally drive to your house talk to us about this i was like uh-uh i you get left on red you get left on red you spoke to an advisor. Good for you. Probably you're way more mature than me. Cause like so, I was just like So here here's the difference. The difference <laughs> is that it was more so my job than my church. Um, like I did not consider this man to be my pastor. Like, uh, right. So it was a it was a church I worked at. It was not my church. Um, so I was clear about that. So I was just like, I just gotta, you know, and I was like, so and I like knew uh, because other people had tried had quit before, like I knew his I knew his deal, right? And he, I was like, he's gonna try to cry and be emotional and like try to get me to stay. And I was like, I'm not doing it. I was like, so I'm gonna call the most trusted white man I got, and he's gonna help me work through this, right? And that's exactly what I did. And yo, it you out. ever and yo, so, you ever so watch so um that they ended up throwing me a going away party? You ever watch a uh... Uh, Sanford and Son growing up where like they had like they had <laughs> you know I'm going with this where they had the, the cops they had the brother and the white man cop the white man the white man was like he, he you know he broke it down made it he broke it down like that legal talk but the brother made it plain for the peoples you know what I'm saying and you was like look yeah. I'm gonna consult with this white man so he can, can tell me what I'm supposed to say and like you know, he's job enough that he'll that and break it down that I'll understand it, so I can understand what this man is saying. But that, <laughs> yo, I was like, I was like, he's gonna give me the right words to say. I was like, here's how I want to say it. Yo, I quit, right? Like you can keep your job, right? But he was, so, 
here's so here's how I here's how I would translate that, right? And he like was able to help me do that. Um, so it was great. They ended so they ended up throwing me a a going away party like catered by Chick Fil A and everything. I was like, man, that was the best I quit speech ever. Like I was like, how did how did we get from? I had a resignation. Keep it. Literally, and so, but the the best part was they were like, hey, you were working on our website, so we'll pay you to work remotely for two months as you finish our website. I was like, so you're going to pay me DC money to go back to New Haven? Work. Got you. Um, And then the website took longer, so it was like two and a half months, which was enough time for me to, like, get onboarded and get all my paperwork and stuff set up to be youth pastor in the role that I'm I'm in now. Um, And I... I tell our assistant pastor all the time, like he came, he came through on that one because I don't know what I was going to say, but uh, I don't think it would have worked out as well as, as it did. So sometimes you just got to have a trusted white man in your corner. That is, uh, I'm like proud and disappointed in you at the same time. I don't know how to scratch. <laughs> oh, you know. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I just, wow, yo, that's, and you know what that also says, yo, like, that's just sad that, like, when we speak about, like, when we speak about whiteness, that, like, you have to go this extra mile to almost, like, preserve and coddle their whiteness, but they don't, good God, um, but they don't put forth the extra effort to protect and like comfort your blackness, you know what I'm saying? I just, mm-hmm. I just think like, yo, as a black woman, you have to consult with another white man to console and protect the ego of another mm-hmm. white man. Oh, that yeah. image just don't like. I laugh about it, but it's just like that. Just that's ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. oh, rather my. than being able to be real about the harm I had experienced, right? Like, I'm. I'm trying to protect him and his ego when I'm like actually sitting here repressed and suffering as a result of the harmful environment that he created. That's ridiculous. It's just, I mean, like I laugh about it because like how you word it, but it's like, it really is sad that it's like, I, I gotta be nice about telling you how awful of a job you did. It's kind of like when like, mm-hmm. when like pe- when you work for like people that do like inspections and stuff and like, there's black mold, paint peeling off the walls. The the toilet ain't worked since Nam. You know what I'm saying? And like, and you gotta be like, ah, oh, you know, just there's just a couple of things that you just need to improve on. Maybe if you shut down for about a, a week. And it's like, no, or you can tell them, look, um, we had to shut this mug down because like, look, there's cockroaches doing the stanky leg in the soul train line on the counter. Like we just gonna have to like, we cannot minimize. Like I, I say this all the time. Like I should not have to, should not have to water down. I should not have to water down me speaking of the plight that you put me through when the oppression in which that rained upon me was not watered down. It suffocated me regardless. It didn't matter how it, it suffocated me gently. No, it was suffocating. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's not let's not try to appease in favor of the oppression and we miss out on 
being a people of justice for those that are victimized because literally the gospel was literally written to be an advocate for those that are oppressed afflicted and victimized so i just i don't know man I, and, and i also look at it i mean i'm not god but when god gives you that doggone that picto chat that big old like flip screen of like everything you did wrong he ain't gonna like he ain't gonna like put those filters on it you know what i'm saying he ain't gonna like he ain't gonna make sure your eyebrows are straight he ain't gonna like beep your words out or nothing no he's gonna hold you to that 110 that you put into it so it's like that's just that's trifling dog like i I, you better than me like i said the way i rolled out is the way i rolled out and like i just <laughs> if that makes me an awful person i mean and you got an opinion about it sign up for the patreon i don't really give me two dollars and give me your two cents i don't really got <laughs> i don't really got the time to deal with yeah. that absolutely not. hey uh hey it's uh how you did it i have no issues i just had to protect you know my uh my reputation and you know keep my job or I was trying to, you know, leave my job professionally. No, I, I understand that. I, I, I think like the thing is for me, and I think that people need to understand the gravity of this is like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to, I'll just say like how, I'll put it how Kendrick put it. We shouldn't have to tap dance around the conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, somebody got to address this elephant in the room. Ain't no reason in mm -hmm. trying to like act like it's a mouse. It's an elephant. Like this, this could step on me and kill me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, and it's unfortunate that like you as a black woman that navigates in these spaces had to go through that much efforts to do so. But that also speaks of the problem in which that we need to put more of an effort to try to abolish. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, yeah, damn your job. I'm sorry. <laughs> and yeah, that's why uh, half of the people that I work with when I was there are, are gone now. So. Um, yeah, the results speak for themselves. I'm, uh, I've moved on to bigger and better. I feel that, and I'm proud, and I'm proud of you. If nobody told you that lately, I want you to know I'm proud of you. You know what I'm saying, my sister? Appreciate you know, that. You know what Thank I'm saying? You. For sure, for sure. Um, one thing I'm curious about, um, because, like I said, this is, we talked about it very briefly, um, but I'm curious to, like, how this came about for you um, as far as this direction, as far as your content goes. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about Decon a little bit. Let's talk about Decon as in like what we did last winter, if I'm saying? Yeah, it was winter, right? December, yeah. It was winter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was December. winter. Yeah, that was a long yeah. day, good God. Um, it was. <laughs> my internet was not nice to me. My, my internet was oppressive, anyway. Um, <laughs> But um, I, I'm curious into like one, because if I'm not mistaken, not only are what you was obviously you was one of the keynote speakers, but you were one of like the, I would say like the driving forces to like kind of making it to be what it to be. Um, how did that come about? What was like put on your heart exactly to kind of like, I would just say have that to create that space, at least be a, 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 a facilitating participant in creating that space um can you talk to me a little bit about that um today yeah so uh i had to be like fall or maybe late summer uh last year um guy on tiktok john doe nobody um 
he reached out to me and he was like, Hey, like some people are, uh, a couple of us are getting together, um, to kind of talk about what it might be like to have a virtual conference, um, to talk about deconstruction. Would you like to be a part? Uh, and I was like, sure. Not like it's a conversation. Um, and so this was a conversation between me, uh, John Doe, nobody on TikTok, Tori Bay and Andrew Cox, um, also known as Red Sage. And we had a conversation and I think from the first conversation, we kind of all were on the same page about like on TikTok, you have, you know, one minute, maybe three minute videos to talk about some complex, uh, theological topics and, um, to talk about the experience of deconstruction. And we found that, you know, our pages were helping folks, but you can only do and say so much in a minute to three minutes. So we wanted to have space to, for, to really provide resources for folks, but also to provide spaces to hear other people's stories um, so that people knew that they were not alone. Because I think uh, I didn't have the word, I didn't have the, the language for deconstruction. I just knew that, you know, Yale Divinity School is known to blow up people's faith and they're like, hey, if you put it back together, cool. If not, not our problem. Um, but you're still going to get this degree, right? So I just knew that my faith had been, you know, tossed upside down um, and I was putting it back together. Um, but I was like, wow, if I would have had some of these resources or had people to talk to through this, um, this really would have been helpful. So that's pretty much where the idea came from. And um, so me and these three other folks who had never met in person, uh, met on Google Meet uh, once every two weeks uh, for about four months to put on this one day conference. We only had a couple, we had a couple like stipulations about who could, who could speak in the conference. We wanted all of our keynotes, I think, to be women of color. Um, I think, uh, and it ended up that uh, of the four keynotes, three of them were, and then the first one was a kind of uh, a mix of different people. Um, there were no um, cishet white men that spoke at the conference, none. Um, all of the keynotes, yeah, all of the keynotes featured women. Everybody was, yeah, either a person of color, um, part of the LGBTQ community, uh, or a woman. Yeah. Um, and those were like our main things. And we were like, we are going to, because all of us had come from evangelical spaces where the conferences were dominated by, um, straight white men who always started their talks off by talking about their smoking hot wife. Right. So we were like, that is the opposite of what we want to do. Um, we want to hear from people who are actually doing this work and, uh, who don't, whose voices don't get elevated in other spaces. Um, and we reached out to people and thankfully, like most people were like, yeah, if they were available that day, they were in. And we gave, um, we ended up giving the money to a, uh, all of the, all of the profits that we made, the money went to a teen, uh, organization, like a teen, um, drop-in organization that helps, uh, especially LGBTQ youth and homeless youth, um, get housing and get support and things like that. Um, and it was an amazing day. I mean, the people who spoke were amazing. Uh, yeah, I think we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into when we started planning a virtual conference. All of us had planned like church events, but like a virtual conference is a whole other deal. But, uh, I think everybody I heard was amazing. People 
I think just really were able to connect and they uh, were so uh, excited to be in a space where they could uh, have these conversations um, with other people who were thinking the same things. Um, yeah, and my keynote was absolutely amazing. Uh, I had the best time. Uh, if you go back and watch my keynote or if you were there, um, the best friend that I'm talking about was the Amen Corner, who was literally being an Amen Corner in the middle of the talk. Um, the It was the blackest thing ever, but I loved it. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a really great day. And um, yeah, I think we're gonna have a conversation soon about what will come next, if anything. One thing that uh, I, I guess like I'm I one thing I had a blast about because I, I did a breakout room with from we did uh uh I think it was like I forgot I forgot what he titled it it was like two black guys it was like white Jesus and black guys or something like that I don't know it was a very polarizing conversation but then when I hopped in other people like shout out to Felice Nappy Dodd uh shout out to Garrison um Godly and Gay who I had I'm having on here tomorrow it was like i feel like if you weren't challenged you weren't paying attention and i for mm -hmm. me you know like especially like i feel like some people say as far as like deconstruction the best thing about deconstruction is if you're not that far along in your faith like myself like 19 to i would say my deconstruction journey started at like maybe 25 26 ish like there wasn't too much to deconstruct problem was is like because you don't know much you have to recognize that you don't know much so being able to like mm -hmm. keep yourself humble at the same time recognize like you don't have that much religious baggage that you really need to unpack so it was dope to one have multiple spaces in which other people were like essentially regardless of how long it took them to get to the same finish line or the starting point we were all there um at the same time we're all speaking from our own different experiences um that was just eye-opening uh and then there's the and i don't know if you've seen this there's the disheartening part of like this deconstruction is like as your 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 cousin malcolm said uh mariah x the chickens have come home to roost uh <laughs> we have some of our our white allies, you know what I'm saying? That like, I I recognize that like uh, it was a quote I used. It was so funny, and it's like I wish people would have paid attention to this more. It's something I said in our my breakout room with Crum is not knowing how whiteness works is exactly how whiteness works, and we've had to come and see that over the especially over like the last like I would say specifically over the last couple of months that. These allies is showing they behold behinds. I'm like, bro, what you we we hope we was you was just in my comment section. Now, now you getting yep. challenged in this area. Ugh, okay. Alrighty now. You know what I'm saying? Like it just it's um I guess like the one thing that like I wanted to like talk about was like you spoke on it very briefly, um, but I don't think people under people really understood like what you said by that is like you know, typically in these spaces, our voices are not prioritized. And one of the things that I okay. wanted to like, kind of like, I guess like remix them a little bit, but it still sounds like the original, is that that not only are the people that are doing this work 
you know, people that aren't necessarily prioritized should be amplified. It's also recognizing is that if the work is not done, these people that technically are not prioritized are the ones that are the quickest to be afflicted by the work not being done. So can you speak on like how basically like this is not a fad. Like it's just, this is not a phase. This is not a trend. Like this can literally mean life, death, safety, or violence for people that look like us um, to some degree and why not only does it need to be taken seriously and why something that I would say people that are not afflicted by this don't even have a right to use the language. This isn't that big of a deal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think, um, I think the way I'll put it, I'll put it this way, like, uh, especially women of color, um, yeah and marginalized folks generally are sometimes are usually the last voices to be heard um but and but are often the most qualified to be talking about those things um so then the the voices that are being heard are the ones that are the least uh knowledgeable and the least able to talk about it right so then the knowledge being disseminated is watered down usually misinformation um and incorrect right so that's just like my starting point and my personal pet peeve um is like when i look at especially people like i you know whether it be people i graduated with or just people out on like the preacher scene um and i'm seeing like people who are talking about deconstruction or multi-ethnic church or whatever the case may be and i'm like you jesus are can i say something real quick please yeah please what the hell does multi-ethnic mean when we lived in a country that literally had plantations? Like, I, did, I don't, I don't want to, we're multicultural. Okay, so is a prison. Next, like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just yeah. had to interrupt. Actually, uh, I'm not sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no. However, I'm sorry that that no, irritates me so much that I interrupted. <laughs> um. No, I have, I definitely have thoughts on it. And I spend a good chunk of yeah my research time thinking about how black, black folks is, is particularly can be uh, safe and can be, and can have space made for them in uh, multi-ethnic spaces. But uh, point being like, yeah, people will, you'll get, you know, a lot of times white dudes, white women to talk about these things. Um, and they have no expertise, no knowledge um, or and this is not to be a flex. And every time I say it, I feel like I'm flex, you know, like I'm being prideful. But I'm like, they don't have a fraction of the knowledge or the or have put in a fraction of the study that I have, right? Um, but because I'm a black woman, um, also especially in preacher circles, because I'm single um, and not married, you know, I'm uh, a temptress, and you know, I'm can't be trusted. Ooh, uh, see, so... I didn't even sister. Now you you pulling on baby hairs. Now be careful now. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Um. <laughs> you know, I've heard many times. You know, you gotta watch those woman pastors because they're coming after your husband. Like I promise you, we not like it's okay. Like we just want the same preaching opportunities that everybody else gets. Um. And you know to be compensated the same way that everybody else is, um, especially black men. Come on um, now, especially you know white men. Just just putting it out there. Come on now, uh, right? Um, honor, people be shifting up their honorariums when a woman comes to preach, thinking that 
people don't talk and all of that it's it happens right um but at the same time if you go to most of these churches i promise you that the church running uh the church runs on the back of women of color i promise you nine times out of ten it runs on the backs of women of color um so whatever you know these pastors think that they can get up there and say or whatever the stuff that the stuff that nobody sees is being done by yeah by somebody's mama somebody's grandmother um some woman of color uh and nine times out of ten the pastor has no idea who they are but the pastor gets to get up there and talk about their knowledge and their insight and their wisdom miss me with that um and and that for me that's my pet peeve right like even at the church i'm at we have a black pastor i mean we have three black pastors on staff right by no means are we like you know um yeah not diverse in that way but still we have to understand like man people it's the women of color who are uh who are putting in the most work but are oftentimes the least seen and the least acknowledged and the least listened to um and for me that that takes away your credibility um so i'm like unless you're acknowledging unless you're acknowledging that like i ain't trying to hear it so for decon like those are the people that we wanted to make sure that we were hearing from the people who were actually on the ground doing the work um because uh that's that's the actually the most reliable information right like not the dude who um yeah, who sits in the green room until five minutes before he has to get up and preach, right? And then, you know, maybe shakes a hand or two, gets up on a platform, preaches for 30 minutes, then gets back down and then goes to sit in the green room while he, you know, has his towel and his water br brought to him, his, you know, and his bowl of only green Skittles. And, and you want to talk about doing the work of justice and doing the Lord's work and all of that, like, keep it, okay? Because uh, unless you, you was in the back, breaking down tables and putting up tables and and all of that stuff and putting bulletins in the seats i'm not trying to hear it not because that's usually the people that we that the people that we listen to at these conferences have never done those things they're like oh yeah i used to stack chairs when i was 15. not the same thing yeah and, and i think another thing that kind of goes to is like when we speak of like I mean, once again, let's just, like I said, let's just keep it real for a second. I mean, like we, you guys have been taking care of just this country, even the oppressors to some degree mm -hmm. since the beginning from like the fact that like you had to like on the plantation, you had to, you know, breastfeed your slave master's children before you could, you know, breastfeed and feed and take care of your own children. Like that in itself is like a response to trauma so to think that an institution that you know is to, to some some degree if it's not checked by a black woman you know what i'm saying and being decolonized is profiting and you know reaping the benefits off of the oppression and labor off of you guys so it's like no you yeah, I'm with you. Miss me with that. Because I'm telling you, somebody's Madea, Big Mama, or Auntie so-and-so in the back probably working in the nursery taking care of your badass kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But don't, like, gotta, but gotta fight just to put food on their plate while, like, you know what I'm saying? Your pastor's looking for a third house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
or like or you gotta deal with i think uh who was it i think it was crumb that actually said something it's like y'all giving me slack about charging people for features and your pastor's got a like a condo or a, mm-hmm. th- a, a third house or a new truck like miss me with that b like it's just it's nah yo one of the, one of the things that is so funny is when pastors have riders like you know artists have riders when they come to do different shows things that they require bigger pastors have them too and they have things that they require and i'm like okay so if you have this please tell me that nobody in your church is starving nobody is try- nobody is is struggling to make ends meet if you require you know a uh, a blue gatorade at you know 72 degrees and you know your green m&ms and a fruit salad with no cantaloupe and you require this much money to show up and preach and you need this and that and can't nobody look you in the eye and you need to have security like the stuff that preachers ask for you would i'm like if you are asking for all of this then nobody in your church should be struggling 